your Bibles, would you please turn with me to this wonderful, wonderful book, the book of Revelation. We have been, we've been saying how uh, to really grasp what is going to be before us in the pages that, uh, that, that come before us out of this great book, we really need to understand the one that is written about. Um, this book isn't so much about uh, the coming times, the end times, although it is. But this book really is a revelation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why it is singular, revelation of Jesus Christ. Everything else that's, that's going to be taught within it is, is just extra. But, but what, what God wants you and me to understand is who is His Son so that we might grasp all that lies before us. And, and I'm telling you, what is before us in this book is is at times very distressing. It, it, it's, it's heavy, heavy things, heavy stuff. And so I want, as I believe the writer John wants, the God the Father giving this message to the Son who gave it to an angel, who gave it to John, who, who gave it to us, wants us to see the majesty of this one called Jesus Christ. I would love for you to to really grasp what we're doing. And so I want to ask you to consider the sermon-based study that we have put in place for you. Um, this, this is an incredible study. It, it is a, a time, if you would, to get into a, a small group, and into a group of people who go through the, the messages that we do every week. It, it is a sermon-based study. You don't have to be in a small group, though, to get involved. You can be a part of the sermon day study just by going on your website, uh, print out the materials, also the questions that we will have, the overview that we have, the references that we have, so that you can more grasp what we are trying to teach on the weekend. But I would ask you, I would really pray with you, uh, actually beg you to, to become involved in a small group, whether it be a men's group, Women's group, uh, couples group, single, married, young adults, home Bible study. It doesn't matter. And, and, and if you're thinking, yeah, he, he wants us to get involved. He wants everything to get. Honestly, honestly, I can't tell you enough how I don't, I don't care about that. That's God's business. It's not mine. But God has entrusted me the, the, the opportunity to encourage you to get involved for your sake so that you will be blessed. It's just a part of, of life to, to be a blessing, as, as Jeff so, so beautifully explained it. So to be a part, to participate. Um, so you don't have to be in a small group, but we would encourage you to be. 
so that you can be a part of our sermon-based study. It's, and, and, and listen, if you look up online and, and, and you're not in a group and, and there isn't one that fits your schedule, your, where you live and all of that other stuff, please let us know. We don't want any one of you to feel that there isn't a place for you. We'll try with all of our hearts to make it happen. We'll put a, a group together, if possible, so as to get everyone involved. I don't know where I should add this into my message because it's not in my notes. Let me see if I'll find it while we're going through. Um, I want you to look at, at Revelation chapter 1. And I want you to look with me again at verses 4, 5, 6, and we're going to add this time 7 and 8. Now you're going to say, why are we going back over 4, 5, and 6? It's critical. It is critical that we go back over 4, 5, and 6 because this book called The Revelation of Jesus Christ is all about our Savior. And so what I want us to do is to see Him for all of His majesty. We, last week we, we saw in verse 5, Three powerful ways that Jesus Christ is shown. If you look with me again at verse 5, you see that from Jesus Christ, He is called, number one, the faithful witness. Number two, He is called the firstborn of the dead. And number three, He is called the ruler of the kingdoms of this earth. And with those three statements, we see His, his credibility, who He is, His authority, over all people, and His sovereignty. He will rule forever and ever. If you remember uh, last week, we mentioned out of John chapter 18, I think it was verse 37, Jesus Christ was on trial. Very seldom when He was asked a question did He ever respond. You know that, you've read. And all of a sudden, Pilate says, Are you the king? You know, He has heard rumors about who is this one called Jesus Christ? So he asks him, are, are you a king? And Jesus said, amazingly, he said in John 18, 37, you say correctly, I am a king. He says, for this I have been born. For this I have come into this world so as to bear witness to this truth. Everyone, he says, who is of the truth will hear my voice to bear witness. It gave him his credibility that he was, yes, the King of Kings, the Messiah. Secondly, in verse 5, we see that he was the firstborn of the dead. And that speaks to his authority. We cross-reference this with Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. It is said there of Jesus Christ, he is the head of the body, the church. Now, we get that here. We don't fight that in the least bit. We come and we gather together to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. That's the reason we gather together. And we honor Him and we exalt His name by studying His Word. So He says, I'm the head of the body, the church. And then it says of Jesus, He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself might come to have first place in everything. Now, firstborn from the dead, the word firstborn there in the Greek is P-R-O-T-O-K-O-S. It refers to His rank. It doesn't refer to time. But rather, it says He is first 
in preeminence. He is he has, as he says in Colossians 1.18, first place in everything. So that speaks of his, uh, not only his credibility, but it speaks of his authority. And then we finally saw that he is the ruler of the kings of this earth, which, which speaks to his sovereignty. As Revelation 19.15 and 16 stated, we saw last week, he is Lord of lords, he's king of kings, he will rule over all. Okay, what does that mean to you? Let's get really personal. Let, let's, let's bring this, as Dr. J. Vernon McGee might say, let's, let's bring this to where the rubber meets the road. What does it mean to you, his uh, credibility? What does it mean to you, his authority? What does it mean to us, his, cre- his sovereignty? What, what does it mean to us? That's what God wants you and me to do. He wants us to take a look at His Son in such a fashion that we will see Him for what He has done for us. You see, today, I don't want you and me to see Him as the baby born in the manger. Oh, we honor that. But not here, not in the book of Revelation. I don't want us to see Him as the man who walked the streets of Galilee and Jerusalem, we've we've studied that, not in the book of Revelation. No, no. In the book of Revelation, we want to see him for who he is. We want to see his majesty. We want to see his authority. We want to see him as God Almighty who has credibility within your life. He has uh, the authority within your life, and he is the sovereignty over all. Why? Why? Read with me, please, verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 one more time. And I'm going to explain to you why. And I'm going to pray with all of my heart, as I have been, that you and I will not walk out of here today without really a, a, a firm grasp on who is this one called Jesus Christ. Not the baby. Not the man who walked the street. Watch. John writes in verse 4, To the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and released us from our sins by His blood. He has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. John then writes, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen, he writes. And in verse 8, it is said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. He repeats again, verse 4, who is, who was, and who is to come. The Almighty. Father in heaven, if we grasp nothing else here at this church, as we look forward to the end times, and you're coming back. 
may we first and foremost grasp beyond anything else just who is your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. May we, may we understand that fully so that we might understand all that He has done for us with not just babies. Father, we are thankful for the baby. Not for the man that walked the streets of Galilee. No, no, Father, we are so thankful for him. No, Father, we want to see him as God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come. I think if we do, Lord, we'll get a better understanding of who we are and who he means and what he means in each of our lives. So, Father, I would ask you with all of my heart that you would move me aside, please. Would you, as, it, as the psalmist wrote in Psalms 119, verse 18, would you open up our eyes? And may I add, Father, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, would you open these, these thoughts of ours so that we would move away the, the trials of this day and all the things that swirl around us open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your mouth, so that we would sit in this church for this hour, and we would grasp what it is you're trying to say to us. And so, Father, I, John Warhouse, I move myself aside, Father, so that you might teach myself, as everyone here, what you want to say to us this morning. This next half hour, teach us. I ask this in your wonderful and majestic name. And I ask it, Father, in the name of your Son, the one whom we love beyond measure. In the name of Jesus Christ, bless us. We pray. Amen. Think about it. Think about this one who has given you and me an idea of his credibility. The one who has given us the idea of his authority. The one who is sovereign. Not the baby. Not the man that walked the streets of Galilee, but this one that we see here in the book of Revelation. Imagine one, none other than God Almighty came, lived, and died for a purpose. What was it? Well, we read it. It's in verse 5. From Jesus Christ, verse 5, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, that speaks of his credibility, his authority, and the ruler of the kingdoms of the earth, his sovereignty. Note, to him, talking of Jesus, who loves us. What? God Almighty loves you and me. How much does he love us? It says in verse 5, He released us from our sins. Oh my gosh. You have wiped away, you have released me from my sins, dear, dear God. How? By your blood. You see, in a few weeks, when we celebrate Good Friday, and when we give the message on Good Friday, and we ask you to come to church, I want you to think of the baby born in the manger. I don't want you to think of the man who walked the streets of Galilee. I want you to think 
that God Almighty, the one who is and who was and is who to come, willfully went on the cross for your, my sin. It might give you a different perspective of Good Friday. It, it might give us a deeper understanding of Easter Sunday when we say, He has risen. He has risen indeed. You see, this one who is God Almighty loves you and released you from your sin by and through His blood. You see, to understand this death and resurrection fully, we've got to see Jesus Christ for who He truly is. We, we must see Him as the glorified one, the majestic God of God, the one who is, as it mentions here, God Almighty. You see, as we look at Jesus in these pages, as we go forward from this place here in the book of Revelation, just, just the beginning, we're just scratching, barely scratching the surface. We must first clearly see Him as King of kings and Lord of lords. And imagine in our heart of hearts that it is He, this one that we see here in the book of Revelation, who takes us back to the cross with Him, where He shed His blood for if nobody else on the face of this earth, if nobody else on the face of this earth, he shed his blood for you, you alone, so that you might live with him forever and ever and ever in a place that we can only imagine called heaven. Listen, listen to what the writer of the book Hebrews the ninth chapter, the eleventh, the twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth verse says about this one called Jesus Christ. It says, When He, Jesus, appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, it says in verse 11, He entered through a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not one that was made with hands. That is to say, He didn't enter through things that were made in this creation. No, no, no. He didn't enter through the blood of goats and calves, nor through any other method. It says in verse 12, He entered through His own blood. He entered the holy place once and for all. He didn't have to do it over and over again, like in the Old Testament where they had to kill an animal all the time for their sin, for their forgiveness. No, once He went in for everyone, for all, having obtained for you and me eternal redemption. Listen to, what, listen to what he writes in, in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 9. It says, if, if the blood of a goat or the blood of a bull or the ashes of a heifer sprinkle those who have been defiled and sanctified them for the cleansing of the flesh, he says in verse 14, how much more? Imagine this one with all the credibility with all the authority, with all the sovereignty, how much more will His blood, the blood of Christ, who entered through the eternal Spirit, who offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse yours and my conscience from dead works, and to do what? See, this is my point. Why did He come? Why did He offer Himself? Why did He die on the cross? So that you and I might serve 
the living God. That's our point. That's what Jeff said. Not fair. You preached the message in two sentences. Be smart. We're to be a part. We're to participate. He died for us, this one who is majestic, this one who is the almighty God, almighty. He died so that you and I might serve the living God. How? I've said to you, when we study through the book of Ephesians, I I said to you, it's a sad person, it's a sad believer who doesn't know by now what is their call in life. I do. I know my call in life. I know it. By the way, let me say this to you. This place right here is no more special than anybody else in this church. I don't see myself as that. I see myself as just someone who answered a call. Period. I see myself as one of you. I I pray that you'd stop looking at me as someone special. I'm just one of us who stood up and said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it. I was asked this weekend to speak at a men's group. And I was asked by a person that I couldn't say no to. It was Mark Manning, Pastor Mark Manning, who has his church over here at 3 o'clock, who I asked him this weekend when I saw him, how's it going? How are you liking He's He just glowed. He said, thank you, guys. Tell the people, thank you. He says, it's difficult getting used to meeting at 3 o'clock, although we're getting used to it, but it is glorious. And how come we're involved with him? Why do, we, why do we like him so? I'll tell you exactly why. When we first started our church, we had nowhere to meet. We investigated every place that we could think of. To, will you let us in? Will you give us a church on Saturday night? Would you give us a church on Friday night? Would you give us a church on Sunday and later in the afternoon? We asked all the churches, and every one of them were intimidated. No, no, not you. You'll get too big. Went to the theaters where, where Mark was meeting, and as I understand it, he had, the, he had the right of refusal. He had the right to say, no, I don't want anyone else meeting in, my, in the theater because we have our church in the theater. And as I hear it, he said, Pastor John, oh, God, yeah, love to have them. Bring them in. Bring as many people as they can. And I met him, and I told him, I said, Mark, if there's ever anything we can do for you as a church, I will be there to help. And so a few months ago, he wrote us an email and said, I'm losing my building. I'm losing everything. Our finances have killed our church. We're down to about, I don't know, I'm only guessing now to say 25 to 50 people, and it's hard. We don't have a place to meet. And I said, sure you do. You have a, here, meet here. We'll open our doors for you. You open your doors for us. So he asks me to speak to a men's group. Darn, I don't like to speak anywhere else. I want to save my energy for here. This is the only place I want to speak. So he said, uh, they just want you to share your testimony. I said, I'm, I'm 73 years old. This, my testimony is going to be meaningless to these young men. I'm an old man. I'm going to talk to you about Drysdale and Colfax. Nobody knows Drysdale and Colfax anymore. Please come. Okay, I'll come. 
So I spoke, and I had a really nice time, to be honest with you. It was a really great group of young men, or, or men, that, or another church. As I was going to leave, because I told the guy that I spoke to, set up so I could speak early, I want to go home and catch a nap. <laughs> Old people nap. I want to take a nap before I go to speak on our church on Saturday night so I can have all my energy. He said, no problem. So as I was leaving early, I walked it down, and in the lobby was a young man. I don't know age anymore. You'll see when you get to be 70. I don't know if he was 20 or 30. I don't know. He said, boy, am I glad to see you. And I said, why? He says, well, I want to apologize. Did you see me leave near the end of this, your, your message? And I said, no, I'm sorry. I, I didn't see you leave. And he said, well, I had to leave. I was crying so hard. And I said, oh, why? He said, because I... Because I need Jesus Christ in my life. And um, I wanted to come downstairs and pray to receive you. And I'm so glad that I saw you. He said, I wanted to thank you. And I said to him, you didn't hear me. You heard God call on your heart. And never relate what you just did to me. Always remember that he called you. Your obligation is to him, not to me. And then I told him if there's anything that we could ever do for him, we would. And as I drove home, I called my wife and I said, you won't believe what God allowed me to see this day. He allowed me to see a young man come to Christ. If there were more, I don't know, no one said, but it didn't matter to me how many. Just if God wanted to use me for that young man, I'm thankful that I would have made myself available. I'm thankful that I allowed myself to serve my living God for that moment in time. And to think that I might have missed it. Because I thought I was too old. You see, what God is saying in all of this, for His death and shedding His blood for us, is that we have a purpose in our lives. And if you don't know what your call is yet, if you don't know your purpose, here's what I said in the book of Ephesians, and I can only say it now. Get busy. Do something. You'll find out if you enjoy it or not. Look, I, nobody ever has to ramp me up. I don't take drugs, anything. Everybody says, why are you so passionate? Because I love what I do. And I love my Lord. And it's easy. I shouldn't tell you that. It should make you think it's really hard. Oh, I studied so hard. Oh, it's fun. Because I'm doing what God's called me to do. And, and if you get busy doing what God's called you to do, people will let you know if it's your gift or not. They'll tell you, you might not should do that. Or they'll say, God, you blessed us. He offered himself without blemish to God so that you and I might serve as believers in him, the living God. Look, it's some 28 times in this book, the book of Revelation, Remember, it's not plural. Revelation. It's a revelation of Christ, Jesus, our Lord. It's 
him. 28 times he is called the Lamb of God. You see, his blood, the blood of the Lamb, is what redeems those of us who believe in him. And you've got to realize, though, that it's not this baby that was born in a manger, not this man that walked the streets of, of Galilee, but that God Almighty gave his blood for you. He loves you that much. And therein lies the very heart of what we've got to know before we study this book anymore. That's the gospel. And it goes deeper than you might ever imagine. It, it goes into the depths that God had to come to this earth to forgive sinners and set us free from death, sin, and hell by His sacrifice upon the cross. And when you contemplate that, when you walk away from here and you think, God Almighty died for me, then you contemplate your worth. And you come to realize that God made Jesus your substitute for death. He died for you and gave you His righteousness so as to satisfy God Almighty. God died for you in the person of Jesus Christ once and for all. So that He is the Lamb of God through this action that we are talking about right now, His death and His resurrection, He has given every single one of us who believe in Him not only our salvation, not only heaven, where we will live with Him forever and ever and ever. That's not why He died for you. He died for you and me so that while we draw breath here on this earth, we are to serve Him. We've got a purpose in our life, a purpose to live so that we might serve the living God. I got a call this week from a dentist friend. Went to SC. Knew him from back then. He was the best friend of my best friend. So if you could fit this all together, not to tell you any names. He, the dentist, hardcore atheist. Hate, hated, well, he didn't hate God because he didn't believe in God. Some years back, his best friend, my best friend, I led to Christ. And so the dentist, who is smarter than both of us squared, he is so smart, would scratch his head saying, what's going on here? These two guys aren't dumb. Why are they loving the Lord? And I don't believe there is a living. Some three years ago, this dentist accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and now has a Bible study in his home teaching others to believe in Christ. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. And he calls me, this brilliant young man, now older man, my age is older than me, this brilliant guy is asking me questions about the Bible so that he doesn't lead his people that are going to come to his house that night astray as he tries to help them go through the scriptures that they're studying. And he asks me a question. What's my purpose? What, how do I talk about purpose in life? And I said, you know, it's amazing you ask me that because that's what we're talking about in, in, at our church. God has made us, if you look at verse 6 in chapter 1, He has made us to be a kingdom. Priests, if you would, to His God and Father. That word kingdom means to be a king. Royalty. 
You see, your ministry on this earth as a Christian is a high calling. And that's what I got to tell my dentist friend. And then I led him to Colossians 3, 23 and 24 that we talked about a few weeks ago. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord rather than to man, knowing it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom we serve. And so I told him, you can tell your friends that come to your study with a surety that they, no matter what it is they do, they can honor the Lord. You can honor the Lord being a dentist just as much as you can being a preacher or just as much as you can parking cars. Just kidding. It doesn't matter. It's not, it's not what you do. It's who you do it for. And so he has made us to be kings and priests. Our call is a loyal call. How do I know? Well, Peter reassures us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, you, you're a chosen race. You, you are a royal priesthood. You, you are a holy nation. Sounds like he's talking to Israel to me. You are a people for God's own possession. So that, so that you might proclaim. That means to shout out, to proclaim, to tell everyone the excellencies of him who has called you, here's where it's us, out of darkness into light. And so Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6 lets us know we're kings and we are priests. And we are for a purpose. And that is to give God the, the glory and dominion forever and ever. And then Paul's not, Paul, I always do that. John's not through, but John writes, amen. In other words, he writes, so be it. The ultimate plan, the ultimate purpose of God is for you and me, if you believe and trust in Him, is forever to praise His holy and righteous name. And we do so by fulfilling His plan, His purpose here on this earth, by proclaiming the excellencies to everyone that we come in contact with. We've got to grow, you and me. We've, we've got to honor and we've got to praise the name of Jesus Christ and all that goes on in this place, but not only in this place, but in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, with our children, with our parents, in our schools. And so John writes at the end of verse 6, Amen. That's an outburst of praise, really. It's, a, it's an agreement with what he just wrote. With, jo with joy, John proclaims for everyone to hear, Amen, or so be it. Look at verse 7. We see something just jump out at us. He starts off by saying, behold. Don't go any further in verse 7 for a moment. The word behold means that he desires our attention. Behold literally means look for yourself. In other words, it is a self-examination. We are to look for ourselves. Behold, he says. And what does he say? Behold, he says. He's going to come with the clouds, and every eye is going to see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth are going to mourn over him, even so, and he says it again. Amen. He's just bursting with joy. So be it. You write down, are you personally looking for his return? You see, to personally look, to behold, he's going to come with, air, with the clouds. That means you personally are to look for him. And how would you personally look for him to come if you're not living a righteous life? Basically, John is saying, clean up your life. He's coming. 
And he's coming quickly. And that word quickly, we learn, doesn't mean in time. It means suddenly. It's, it's without warning. So get your, get your life in order. Clean up your act, so to speak. He's coming. We'll see him with the clouds. And the Old Testament tells us in Daniel, Daniel said, I can, wouldn't you love to have seen this? Daniel says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, one with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man came. Wow. Matthew writes in Matthew 24, 30, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the earth, Matthew writes, will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the cloud of the sky with power and great glory. That's who we are looking at here in the book of Revelation. The one with power and glory, credibility, authority, sovereignty. We also see that in verse 7, His coming will be a time of mourning. Now, I told you to understand the book of Revelation, we need to really understand the Old Testament as well as the New. And in the book of Zechariah, which probably you haven't read recently, and uh, I, I understand that, but that's why here at the church we give you a, a, a Bible study through the Bible that we would read through the Bible in a year. We've, we've got you on a timetable t- that you can read through the Bible this year so that you can kind of familiarize yourself with the things of the Bible. Zechariah proclaimed this truth concerning the coming Messiah. He says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication so that they will look on me, he says, whom they have pierced and they will mourn for for me as one who mourns for an only son. They'll weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. For God's sakes, I wrote down, please don't miss, don't miss your Messiah, Savior. Don't be off doing something that haphazardly when you when he comes you won't say oh lord praise god instead you might be like this oh he's coming don't be like that don't mourn uh, over what you can right now have look at verse 7 we are told that the whole earth shall mourn all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him recognizing alas too late that he truly is the one that they rejected he is Truly is the one that they ignored. Truly is the one that they blasphemed. He truly is the one who would save us from our sin. And so it says, some, far too many, I'm sad to say, will mourn their loss. And people, verse 7 tells us this will be a world wide event. Every eye, it says, shall see His coming. No one shall miss this spectacular event. You know, a few years back, I don't know how long ago, can you imagine preachers trying to say, and every eye will see Him, and they, in their heart they have to take that by faith? I mean, how, how is every eye going to see Him? Come on. Today, YouTube, all the computer, computer stuff that we have, we can see what's going on in Egypt. Right now, I had someone call me the other day, a guy that played baseball with the Angels, good friend, had Bible study with him and his wife, loved him so much. He called me, and he, he called me on Skype. If you don't know what Skype is, Skype is you can see the person who calls you on the computer, on the screen. 
And he's like this, and he's saying, hey, John, how are you? How's everything going? He says, I'm calling you by my phone. He said, I got Skype on my phone. Look. <laughs> he went like that. And he turned it around. and got a little dizzy. And he, he says, I can see you on my phone. Come on. Who would have thought that possible some years ago? And you can go to an event and push a button, and you can video what's going on. Every eye is going to see. That's an easy preach right now. Some years ago, pastors had to preach that by faith. Now, today, it's reality. Every eye will see. And then in verse 8, what will they see? Oh, man. They will see what you and I know. They will see, in verse 8, the proclamation of the one who is coming, who is God, a very God. In verse 8, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the one who is and who was and who is to come. I am the Almighty. Just as he wrote in verse 4, I am the one who is, who was, and is to come. The eternal character of our coming King is clearly given to us in these few verses so that we would not miss Him. Jesus Christ identifies Himself, listen now, with the God of the Bible, saying that He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first as well as the last, meaning that He is and no one else is beside Him. It says that in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, the Redeemer, the Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, the name for our Lord, says, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God beside me. Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13, 13 simply echo this claim. It says that Jesus Christ is God. He says, behold, I'm coming quickly. That means suddenly. We've learned that. Not quickly in time, suddenly, without warning. And my reward is with me, he says. I will render to everyone according to what they have done. Thus states, he says in verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In other words, nothing more can be said of this one. This verse, verse 8, Jesus Christ states that He is God Almighty. Make no mistake over what we've just read and what Jesus has just said here in verse 8. Make no mistake about it. He said it before throughout Scriptures. When they asked Him, Who are you? And he, they said, remember the, the religious leaders of the day said, Tell us, tell us plainly, who are you? And He says, I've already told you. And then when he told them, they picked up stones to kill him. And they said, why are you going to kill me? But what action are you going to kill me? And they said, well, not from what you said. Excuse me, not from what you've done, but what you said. You, you yourself being a man, you've made yourself out to be God. Bingo. They heard him. So have you. You know who he is in your heart of hearts. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. Nothing more can be said of him. Amen. So be it. 
people, the deity of Jesus Christ is clearly proclaimed within this book, the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the, with the remaining three or four minutes, I quit early a little bit. With the remaining three or four minutes, the question that I want to ask you is what are you going to do with this information? Would you dim the lights for us, please, Wayne, or whoever does that? I said when we began, I, I wanted this message to impact you and me so that when we walk out of here, we kind of would uh, think more about this one whom, whom we worship, this one who, oh yeah, Christmas, he's a baby, and, and okay. And, and then we read through the, the scriptures, and he is the man who walked the streets of Galilee, okay, but not really anymore. No, now we see him for who he truly is. We see him for God Almighty, and we see him as someone who, who says that he loves us so much that he released us from our sins by his blood. If you're here this morning, and you don't know this one called Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, we beg of you, please, please come to believe in Him. Look, you're not going to know any more about Him. He's not going to grow any larger. He is who He is. He's come to give you life. And what He asks of you to do is to trust and believe in Him by faith, to ask Him to be your Lord and Savior, to ask Him to come into your heart, your life, your being and make you the type of person that He's created you to be. He's asked that of you. And He shows you who He is so that you might trust in Him with all of your heart. For those of us who believe in Him already, we, we don't have to do that. We don't have to make that prayer. What He's asking us is to be serious about our faith. We are saved so as to serve the living God so as to be a part of, of His purpose and plan here on this earth. And I beg of you, if you don't know what that purpose is, if you don't know what that plan is, find it out. Get busy. Do things that you think you want to do for the kingdom, and, and you'll find out sooner or later where you fit, how you fit into God's plan. And I say to you as a person that loves you very much, there is no greater peace than to know that you are serving the living God when you lay your head down on the pillow at night. And so, right now it's 11.30, so I'm supposed to quit, but I'm going to take three more minutes of your time, please. And you'll be surprised how long three minutes are. In these three minutes, I'm going to close in prayer in three minutes. And what I'm going to ask you to do is just in the kind of quietness, not to think about anyone else, but to think about yourself. And what does it mean that this one who is God Almighty loves you so much that He died for you? What do you want to give Him back in return for that? So we'll be quiet for now three and a half minutes. And I will come in and pray and close
ہے